and welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on the show is to learn more about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, and hear from STEM people who are from diverse backgrounds and tend to be really underrepresented. Essentially, through innovation, I want to get smarter and more knowledgeable about the world of STEM, but also bring a voice to the voiceless who are actually doing the STEM. I was one of those people. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were raised to be curious about the world around us and figure out how things worked. Maybe that's the reason why I studied mechanical engineering. It taught me so much about how things function, but it was actually life itself that taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy. It doesn't always unfold in a straight line. And here on Innovation, I want to hear how other people in STEM have dealt with that. This week, I talked to Eva Cheng, a telecommunications engineer. My name is Eva Cheng, and I'm the Director of Women in Engineering and IT at the University of Technology, Sydney in Australia, also known as UTS. How did you get into a career like this? Like, what was the evolution? So my background is in telecommunications engineering and how I got into that and this will show how old I am is the internet came along when I was in high school and it was fascinating. You know, what is this thing that allows us to be able to connect to people anywhere in the world? I can find information instantly. All I need to do is at the time, set up the modem, hear all the funny noises and there it is. So I was fascinated. I wanted to know more. That's why I studied telecommunications. Uh, But about halfway through that university degree, I I enjoyed it, but something wasn't quite there. So by chance, I did a subject called digital signal processing. What that means is computers working with any kind of signal that you give it. At the time, it was looking at, uh, say, for example, telecommunications network signals like a mobile phone and things like that. But my brain connected two things together. So I love music. I, I'm classically trained as a pianist. I, I don't play anymore, uh, but I still love music a lot. And I realized that computers can also process musical signals. And there is a whole field where digital signal processing actually includes music and speech and acoustics. So that's what I got into. That's what took me onto my research journey to do a PhD and then land in the university sector. That's still what I do. So that's what got me into universities. And when I first day at uni, I still remember, I walked into the classroom, there weren't a lot of girls there. I didn't really realise that this was an issue until I had experienced it myself. And when I started teaching as a PhD student at the university, I noticed that the statistics weren't changing, the gender participation was not changing. And for me, that doesn't make sense. Engineering and IT are fun. Uh, tech is fun. We get to design all sorts of new things that generally make life better. Uh, so why are we seeing dis- discrepancy? So I started to volunteer, go out to schools and just to share what it is that I do, why I do it and, and what it looks like uh, to end up in these areas. And yeah, over time, I did more and more of this and people started to know about it. And yeah, I, I learned about this program at UTS, which is focused on um, doing exactly this. And I'm like, right, I love teaching. I love working at uni. I also love going out to school. So rather than just doing it on the side as a volunteer, I'm just going to make it part of my job. And thankfully, I, I did secure a role. So here I am. Gosh, and you must have really seen things change over the years. I mean, how long have you been on this journey of trying to attract more women into engineering? 
So it's probably around 15 years now from when I first started looking at school outreach and being involved to where I am now. And it has changed a lot, which, which is great. Um, I do remember as a high school student going to university open days and doing all those sorts of things. And from where we are then to where we are now, uh, there's definitely much more realistic role modelling. Um, it's much more diverse as well, not just in gender, but just seeing uh, the different ranges of tech that you can get into and the impact that it has. When I walked in, I had no idea what it was what it was like and that we're better a lot harder to share with school audiences as to you know what it means to be an engineer and a technologist but I think these days because tech is everywhere we are living it so it's a matter of what does it look like if you would like to make an impact with technology yeah I mean first of all when you dated yourself um I mean yeah, when I was doing my PhD, there was no internet. So a lot of my research was basically in the library using microfiche, um, trying to understand what researchers had done before me. Um, and so the internet was just this amazing tool, which I feel like it's just, its development has happened over such a flash of time. And actually it's been, you know, over 20 years um in the making um but as a result of that people's relationship with technology has changed and people are so much more connected and you know the the issue of not enough women being in stem is so connected to how we communicate with each other isn't it i mean it's all about sort of getting the word out can you unpick that for me or help me unpick this very multi-layered and complex issue. Yeah, it is a very complex issue uh, because we've we've seen this as being a long-standing problem in, in Australia and many other parts of, of the world. We share some of the same barriers that, that you see in the UK as well. Um, a lot of it is around communication and that involves working with all sorts of different people who are influencing or involved in the space. So parents, families, teachers, schools, career advisors, but also the media. You know, what we see when we're young, that can shape our beliefs as to who I am, who I can be and who should I be. Um, so I think that's where it's changed a lot in the last, last 20 to 30 years is in this messaging and the awareness of the role that technology plays in our lives, but also who should be involved in that design. Because because it now influences how we live every day, if those voices aren't in a room, you know, that's a challenge. But if I think about some of the stereotypes that still persist, uh, they haven't changed much from when I went to school. So, for example, if, if you type engineer in, into search engines, quite often it'll come up with someone in a hard hat with a clipboard uh, on a construction site. But that's just not the reality. And there's always the stereotypes around technologists. You know, they're in the basement looking at computers all day, don't talk to people. Like that, That's not a reality either. So it's unpacking and changing those perceptions and breaking those norms because that's not what reality is at all. And when we have those conversations and we get people involved in tech, you know, building things, solving challenges in the classroom, doing you know, turn-based projects, people are like, didn't realise that this is what it's actually all about. I didn't realise this, this is what coding means. Didn't realise that that's what drones can do. So. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about it being uh, a much better situation compared to when we were graduating, um, I see it as um, women 
are starting to consider engineering as a career now. What positive changes have you seen? I mean, where are we at today? Not far enough, that's for sure. Uh, but we are in a, a better place. I think people are ready to have this conversation. And the example I'd like to share is the current situation in, in Australia. So, yeah, we've been doing school outreach for, for many, many years. But, you know, schools not, weren't necessarily ready for the conversation. Universities weren't ready for the conversation. Uh, the government and industry, we were ready at different times. And so that kind of collaboration just never really got together. But a couple of years ago, um, the federal government put together a workforce. Uh, they've published the Women in STEM Decadal Plan, so a plan for 10 years of action towards gender participation in STEM. And that really brought everyone together. So now everyone actually is on the same page and the collaborations are happening. People are talking, people are sharing. And I think that's what's really made it different. It's not necessarily that, that we were doing the wrong thing. It's just that it, it was not connected. So if you go to a one-day thing with one university and you don't hear about it again for like another five years, we know that doesn't work. But now there's a lot more interaction. There's actually continued pathways. And I think that's made the huge difference. Yeah. I, I find that women are so much more courageous today. Uh, they're so much more outspoken. They stand up for themselves. And there is definitely a culture of not being afraid to be unconventional um, and so I, I meet a lot of women who take pride in being the only one but when I was studying and perhaps this was the same for you um, being outnumbered was a very awkward position to be in like what was your experience of that? Yeah I, I definitely tried to hide um, because you just wanted to, to be there do the thing and just not have to worry about yeah, being the odd one out. I think in a sense, this is where technology and social media has played a positive role because, you know, before the internet and social media, your crew were the ones who were geographically close to you that you could reach. That's no longer the case. If, if you are finding yourself to be in a minority, there is actually your crew that are out there and they are reachable. So I think that's made a huge difference. And seeing that there are other people like you who share some of the same barriers, but also may share some of the same celebrations, there's a bigger sense of inclusion. So I think, yeah, I, I've also probably noticed as I started to work that these communities exist. So the women in STEM communities are now quite like global. And yeah, that, that wasn't there 20 yeah. years ago, that's for sure. How important do you think um, kind of emotional awareness and intelligence has been in terms of getting more women into male-dominated subjects? I think it's super important for life in general. Um, and I think it goes both ways. Uh, I think emotional intelligence is just important to you know, have in the engineering and IT and tech sector, because if you don't have that, the kinds of designs and the services and the products that we're putting out to the general public are going to be affected. Um, so it's not to say that we want to feminize particular skill sets uh, of genders. It's more that in general, what does the skill set look like for engineering IT and the technology industry and what needs to change? Yeah, I mean, emotional intelligence, I find, has been at the root of dealing with things like imposter syndrome and self-doubt and the confidence to be able to speak up in a room full of people that you're intimidated by. And, you know, where are people 
getting that education today? Yeah, it's not talked about enough. Um, we actually just ran an imposter syndrome workshop for our community last week because we've noticed that, especially around COVID, um, people's self-talk and self-doubt ha- had really gotten to a point where it, it's it's not a good place to be. Um, so I think the the education actually needs to start quite early and it also needs to be around how technology and STEM and careers are introduced in, in schools because the confidence gap can start really early. It can start from if you don't feel like you're good at math, science or other areas, that can manifest and that turns into imposter syndrome when, when someone is, is a bit older. Um, so I think it actually needs to start super early and it's not been done enough of. And it's not just around the minority who need to change. So it's not just around women who need to build more confidence and speak out. It's also around general cultural shifts where people don't feel the need to have to change themselves, where people are generally included. So that's the kind of inclusive cultures that need to happen in our sector. So that's yeah. not the minority that have to shift. I mean, it's a fascinating topic because even when I bring it up, I must say I'm a little bit cringe because as a qualified mechanical engineer, everything was very sort of like nuts and bolts and very um, rational and methodical. And there was no capacity uh, to accommodate emotions and, and how you feel about something. And so, you know, certainly in my engineering um experience there was no room to bring that in but I feel like we're living in a world today where actually someone's experience of something is becoming very valid you know in because you you mentioned like was it a five-year or 10-year plan um, that the federal government has set out in that plan is there anything to account for the more warm and fuzzy side of STEM? Yeah, I, it doesn't get to that level of detail, but I think at the broader scale, it does cover that. Um, and I think it covers it by recognising human connection and what the value of human connection is to STEM, but also changing the perceptions around STEM. Um, I think it actually looks very different in how it's taught in schools and universities these days as well, because it's a lot more attached and relevant to real world. So rather than being taught, you know, equations and methods and theories, it's much more linked to relevance to our everyday experience. So I think that naturally has brought in the emotional intelligence and the broader skills that we would see are absolutely necessary in the workforce. Because you and I, I think, went through... Uh, education at a similar time where it was quite you know you need to learn how to make this calculation and that's what matters because that solves the problem and you got it right but then when we went to the workforce it was so much broader than that so I think yeah things have changed in that sense as well I think that's also diversified the, the people who do come in and choose to study and work yeah I mean I think that's why I'm hopeful about um how things are changing because I think there is definitely more openness to people being a lot more transparent about where they're coming from and so everything about equality diversity and inclusion suggests that it's embracing the fact that people are very different and they come from all kinds of backgrounds Um, and I think that's really important Um, 
Tell me a bit more about your own background, because your degree sounds extremely technical. Um, how did you navigate yourself in a very technical environment as a woman? Yeah, if I cast my mind back, I didn't really realise it was so technical until probably when I started working because I just dived straight through uni, further into research, and then when I surfaced and was ready to work, I'd realised that I had really honed a certain set of skills and then was like, oh, but wait, um, what else have I actually kind of missed while being a PhD student? So I didn't realise until quite late, but I think the navigation of working in a technical field meant that I often spent a lot more time overdoing things to make sure that it was absolutely well done so that I wouldn't be doubted. Um, and that comes back to your point before around the confidence gap. I don't think others did doubt me. I just had to show that I felt that I had to prove that I knew what I was doing, that I am good at what I'm doing. And, yeah, I am here to present my work. I am not the executive assistant or administrative assistant. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's been the memories that I have. Um, but I think, yeah, part of that came from within as well as being external. Absolutely. And I, I think there is so much work to do within generally. I mean, even as you mentioned, like to tackle life, to really develop a sort of inner strength and confidence from within to be able to really give uh, to whatever career you choose to do um, from a place of just self-belief. Um, and I feel like that isn't really addressed here in the UK because um, it's very much about sort of... Um, putting your most logical and methodical foot forward. Um, and there's, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in the UK, you know, you don't show um, emotion. It's very stiff upper lip and, and all of that. But I do feel like it's changing. Um, and I, I am always so positively encouraged by younger generations of women going into engineering because they seem so much more confident just being themselves, even from the standpoint of what to wear at work. You know, it can be as basic as that. I know that my experience was, you know, dress professionally, you know, trouser suit and, you know, nothing too revealing and loose and, you know, all of that. Whereas I, I do talk to women these days who say yeah I wear what I want you know if I want to get my nails done and wear makeup and lipstick you know I'm quite happy with that but there just wasn't that mentality when I was in engineering like how was it for you? I, I must admit because I've never done long times of working in industry it's mainly been short stints that my experience is quite uh, focused on the university and tertiary education sector. But uh, in general, I do feel that sense of inclusive cultures has changed a little bit. It's nowhere near where it could be and should be, but it, it is better where it's shifting away from uh, a strongly conformance culture, which this is the way you are. Therefore, you need to change to be like us, to be a little bit more like, well, actually, this is who I am. Um, is this going to work or not? 
and that's where the conversation starts. And yeah, it's, it's actually a bit more of a collaboration and a conversation that uh, you need to be like us. So then in terms of, you know, how you got into something very technical, like telecommunications engineering, um, you know, what made you feel like this was the right thing for you and then stay in it? Yeah. When it, I think when it felt right was when I, when I connected those dots between the technical field of signal processing and connecting it to a passion of mine. So I would say that discovering how the internet worked was an interest. It wasn't a passion. And I think that's why I was feeling that something was missing. And I know it's a bit of a luxury to say that, you know, you find your passion and you, and you work in it. Um, it may just be that, you know, you connect it in somehow. And that was when the, the light bulb went off for me. So what keeps me in it is I think, yeah, this connection of I, I enjoy what I like. It connects to my passion, but also it's furthered now by purpose. So because of the work I do with women in engineering and IT, that has clear purpose towards changing our sector uh, to what it should be. But also even in my technical field, it actually used to be quite removed from human, any kind of human interaction to who might actually use that technology. Now I can see much better connections on actually the work that I was doing actually does have human connection and impact. So that's what also keeps me going on the technical side, which I think is what you mentioned before about what we were taught and engaged in in the work in the past was so distanced and just not communicated on what this actually means in the real world. And that for me was quite hard, but we got there. It's really fascinating that you talk about interest um, because I think that's key, you know, when, and, and this doesn't need to just be about STEM, you know, when you have a genuine interest in something, it really propels you forward to keep digging and researching and, and becoming an expert in something. And Maybe that's what the missing link is when it comes to encouraging women into STEM is that they're not giving a, given a chance to really um, develop a curiosity or an interest in something because it has such a sort of like a sort of uh, almost repulsive nature about it because, you know, maths, it's, it can be extremely intimidating and so people turn away from it rather than um, to say, you know, wow, okay, that mathematical thing connects with dance or art or just something completely non-mathematical. Um, so the fact that you connected those dots and that's what gave birth to your career is um, a really interesting way in and almost plants a seed of how we can encourage more women into STEM by, by letting them develop a genuine interest. Yeah, I, I agree that the interest factor is, is really important. And just in, in general, you know, because I think a huge theme around this is curiosity and it is about exploration. And so long as people are given the opportunity to freely explore, they will have the opportunity to find what does interest them. It's when there are messages or visible role models or anything that's communicated that starts to shift or maybe that's not for me to explore 
that's when we've got an issue. And that's currently where we're at, where there are messages coming in through, oh, if, if I look up this, uh, who are the most famous uh, technologists in the world? How many of those are, you know, are women are from different cultural backgrounds, um, have been through different education journeys that, you know, might be more representative of the actual community. So, uh, yeah, completely agree. It's, it's around fostering interest. And I think we all have a part to play you know, bring along some Lego to every young person that you know, because that's all about creativity and exploring and building. And that Lego is often a starting point. And then, you know, it could turn into robots. It could turn into all sorts of, of other things. It is that curiosity. And that's what we've noticed um, in working with primary schools as well, is that connection of curiosity and play. And then by chance it's with technology. You don't start with the technology because it has that kind of perception of who can and should that we're trying to change. Totally. I mean, gosh, first of all, love Lego. Um, but it's this idea that um, you are just allowed to explore. I mean, any explorers, they were not held back with ideas of what if this fails or what, you know, goes wrong or, you know, they don't have, I mean, they probably have those fears, but they still try anyway. And that's what I love about science and tech it's all about prototyping and experimentation um and maybe it's just that people are not allowed to fail um in education systems as they stand today what's your perception on failure i've learned to love it um i completely agree that uh the fear of failure is hindering this creativity and exploration and just trying and learning because if you don't fail, we don't learn. No one's ever going to get things right all the time and what does right mean anyway. Um, so that's a personal journey I've been on because, you know, I'd done really well at school because that was what you were supposed to do. Uh, you know, I got into a good degree and then I did really well. But then when you do research, things do not go to plan. So many things failed. Uh, experiments didn't work, but code didn't work, computers broke, papers got rejected. You got asked horrible questions at conferences. Not horrible, but personally, just people put you on the spot to have an academic rigorous discussion. But I often, as a younger person, took it personally. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. But that wasn't the point. So that's my journey of embracing failure, and I share that now. Because if I hadn't been through that, I don't think I'd be where I am today and also doing what I do today. Um, because failing also leads to a sense of, oh, well, I'm just not good at this, so I'm going to give up. And I think that sense of I need to be good at it is an issue as well because actually you don't. No one starts being good at something. We all try a little bit, we learn, we keep trying, and then we get good at it. Yeah, there's such a life lesson in that, you know, because I think even, I don't know about you, but my STEM training really encouraged perfection because there's something so satisfying about going through a very complex equation or formula and getting one answer out at the end that is exactly right. Um, yeah. And so there was this real training of um, zero tolerance you know, one right answer, binary thinking. And um, yeah, perhaps we should let women know that actually this is a place where you can fail. But that I think that really has to start early and at an educational level. 
Yeah, and I completely see it uh, in the classroom as well. And schools are shifting or have shifted to this. You know, the growth mindset is is a thing. Students are being taught this and it's fantastic. Um, It's just a matter of time before, you know, it becomes the norm. Uh, I think it's also sharing failures because when you read about success stories, you read about people who have achieved so much, you only hear about the shiny bits. What we don't hear about is everything else that didn't quite go to plan. So I think when we're sharing role models and sharing stories, we also need to share the failures because that's the real journey. Otherwise, Mm. it looks like these people have just got it sorted and therefore actually we should all have it sorted, but that's not not the case. We've all failed so many times. Have you ever felt? like you're encouraging women into an industry that just isn't supportive of them fundamentally? I think this is where the transparency of bringing industry and university students and teachers and students in the same room matters because there are sectors and there are industries which are moving faster on the inclusion journey than others. So it is being mindful about who you work with, but also sharing that, yes, there are problems, there are challenges, but this is why we're here. And, you know, over time, these challenges have gotten better and they will get better. So it's not selling, um, you know, there's a rainbow of STEM and it's all going to be lovely and it's all going to be easy. It is not. Uh, But together, it's going to be okay and if you want to do it there is a community of support and encouragement I think the community aspect of it is is super important because it isn't easy and what matters is that support crew so yeah even if it's people that you meet quite early on that you call upon later on in your career in your life that's really important and to share that early on like I I wish I had all the things that we run when I was a student because that would have made the world of difference I think that that transparency of yeah um, being, what's it like to be the one girl in the class? Uh, what's it like to be the one girl on the team? What's it like to be out of work? And you get questioned and just sharing how we've all dealt with it so that people are not on their own. But things are getting better. I've been looking at, you know, inclusion policies, data reporting, and it is a long way from where it used to be. STEM subjects have a reputation of being, you know, quite tough you know science maths all all those kinds of subjects aren't the easiest um for girls that never have considered a career in stem why would they want to voluntarily start studying subjects that are known to be difficult like what's in it for them so i think it's worth unpacking what difficult means um Because for some people, STEM might actually come quite naturally and it's an imposed sense of of difficulty. So that's something to be mindful of uh, because there's been a lot of studies where the self-perception of how I went in a a particular test is quite different to what it actually is as the result. So there is that perception gap. Um, But in terms of why people would study STEM if it is seen to be difficult is long-term gain because it is such an interesting field to be in. It is also super diverse. And I also explain it as a great jumping off point for just about anything else. So engineering and IT doesn't just teach you the technical aspects. It also teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to solve problems, work with people, come up with designs, test things, 
fail because nothing ever works day one with the design and get something to a point where people can can use it so that kind of kind of design thinking is applicable to anywhere um, and coupled together with the scientific processes and the scientific thinking of engineering I think that actually is a great jumping off point to be in any industry and we see that so we have a lot of financial companies who will hire engineers, uh, a lot of different sectors that will hire engineers and technologists because of the way we think, less so on the actual we need you to design X. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I just feel like studying STEM gives you skills for life that you would never get anywhere else. And also my job has really involved meeting people and doing films about people that have really um, cross-pollinated disciplines. So they'll have, you know, engineers working together with artists or um, evolutionary biologists, like just, you know, looking at nature and getting inspiration for engineering um, machinery and things like that. And so I've always just been fascinated by um, how, I mean, you're an example as well of like how you can marry such different contrasting interests together um, to create a brand new discipline. Yeah. So I, I, I just think like STEM, as you say, is a jumping off point for things that are yet to be discovered. Um, and that makes it really exciting. I think that's also what makes it so fun is that because technology is everywhere, that expertise is needed. And, you know, it's that bridging, which is the super creative and the super fun part. And I'm exactly like the people you've described. I, I, I work with musicians, I work with artists, uh, also work with biologists and museum curators and all sorts of things, because, you know, there's often a lot of really interesting ideas out there, but the practicality of how do we turn this idea into a thing is where that technological uh, and engineering thinking comes in. And that's also where innovation comes in. Because if you just get engineers in a room, I don't think we're going to come up with very good ideas. Um, I think we'll invent problems to solve. But if you get different people in the room, that's when we come up with great ideas that are not only innovative, but practical. So just wanted to back you up on that point. So putting outreach to one side, um, what does your technical engineering research work um, do to impact all of our lives? Yeah, I don't get a lot of time to work on this anymore. Um, but what I used to work on and double in when I can now is on spatial audio. So that means the recording and reproduction of sound. And why that's important uh, to me as a motivation is that sound is all around us. It allows us to interact with each other. It allows us to interact with our environment. It's, it's one of our main senses, right? But we're so used to listening to sound on stereo but that's not how we do it in real life. So how do we actually replicate that uh, using technology, both with recording and reproduction so that we are actually emulating? One case in point is just um, concerts. We go to concerts and gigs because it's an environment that we immerse ourselves in. So there's actually no reason why we don't have that experience um, at home, but with spatialized audio. To get a bit more personal now, what would you say is your greatest superpower? I don't know how to say this succinctly, but um, connecting dots. So somehow um, 
I'm able to connect different things together to create opportunities. So whether it might be, I remember a conversation that happened a couple of months ago, and then I've just had a conversation with somebody else yesterday. I'm like, right, actually, we all need to have a conversation because this is now a thing to move forward with. Um, it could also be in how I've developed some of these collaborations with, it often starts as a really random conversation in a hallway or over an email or at a conference. And it's that ability to connect dots, but also be open-minded to take it further and turn it into something tangible. So connecting dots as a superpower, and it can be dots of ideas, dots of people, anything. That's so interesting that you, you know, you do an engineering degree or research in um, communication and then kind of almost on an emotional level. Yeah. That's also your strength. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Plan a little bit, but not too much. Okay. I think that was given to me at a time when I used to be a very organised person and I, I kind of needed to know what was going on, which was great. I achieved, but I also blinkered myself to what might else be happening. So that's something I've taken on board and it's changed the way that uh, I work so that I do have that level of open-mindedness and the curiosity as well. I think that also related to the fear of failure because if I knew what was going on, then there's no way that I would fail at it. But when you accept a little bit of ambiguity, a little bit of unknown, you do explore, you do get out of your comfort zone. And yes, things might go wrong, but we learn and we discover something else. So I think that stuck with me because it fundamentally changed um, how I work I am no longer that organized that's for sure oh that's such a good one yeah it's allowing for a bit of mess yeah um I definitely need to listen to that advice because I I over plan and I'm quite a control freak I need to have everything organized um but as you say there's no room for just reality and and the fact that things are not linear you know no things never go to plan and you know you embrace it um, I think another one is also because I do come from a background of perfectionism is to be mindful not to leave it till tomorrow because then things don't get done, whatever it might be, uh, starting a new thing, calling the old friend, just do it. Yeah, wonderful. And what's been the most humbling thing that's ever happened to you? Ooh. I'm going to draw back to some of my experiences with Engineers Without Borders because I work a lot with them um, through the university and through my own volunteering, is realising how little we know and also realising how much the where you're born, uh, where you live, how you've grown up shapes the way we think and then our assumptions as well. So when I started to broaden it out, and we also took students uh, to different countries and still in an engineering context, it made me reflect on, you know, what I do know, but also what I don't know. And there's a lot to be learned from uh, everyone around us, regardless of their background and engineering degrees or not. Mm. Yeah. What's it been like being a woman of ethnic minority there in Australia? Outside the, the family context, uh, it's, it's been fine. I haven't come across too many issues. I think 
What was interesting when I started to write articles in the research sphere was the confusion, perhaps over my name. There were assumptions that perhaps English wasn't my first language. And then when I started to speak at conferences, people would just be confused because I'd have an Australian accent. Uh, I think that's that's no longer the norm, which, which I'm thankful for. Um, but I think what's been a bigger challenge is around cultural acceptance of by choosing to be an engineer it was great that I was, it was, yeah, great that I was good at maths. It was great that I was good at science. But the decision to turn that into an engineering degree was always a topic of discussion, especially because my marks are really high. People were like, why don't you do medicine? I'm like, I don't want to do medicine. I also don't like blood. So, yeah, and people tried to shift me towards biomedical engineering and, nah, it just wasn't my thing. So I think, yeah, that, that kind of, conversation the hard conversations with family have have not been easy yeah I I really relate what's been interesting from my point of view is that being of ethnic minority hasn't been easy it's been a long-term challenge but it has really helped me to develop strength and resilience have you felt that too yeah, and I, I think it's also helped me to identify my differences that I bring to the table. So I always thought that, you know, I wanted to speak English at home because I wanted to be like my friends at school. But, you know, thanks to my family, you know, we spoke Cantonese at home, which is why I can speak Cantonese today. It's why I can speak to my family overseas. But it's also been really good for work. So now I can help uh, the university with its teaching programs and other programs uh, which are outside of Australia. I'd never thought that my diversity would bring me that unique strength, but it actually has been good. And because I'm cross-cultural, I'm adaptable. You know, I grew up being quite Chinese in the home, quite Australian. You know, I used to play cricket, all sorts of things outside of the home. And that's, that kind of cultural chameleonism is, is actually really helpful in, in life in general. Yeah. Well, you know what? Talking to you, I get a real sense of self-celebration. Um, you know, there, there's nothing, you know, as a minority, we can see ourselves as being disadvantaged in certain regards, but I don't get that sense from you. I get a sense of, you know what? This is me and I'm proud to be who I am and I'm going forward with all of my skills and my talents and putting them to good use it's very inspiring thanks for saying that that that's inspiring for me to hear um i think it's also reflective of the journey because yeah this is not what i was like uh, as an undergraduate student definitely not as a as a high school student but i think it's just that i really want to do this and i'm going to do it and if you don't like it that's just too bad um, but then not cutting off those conversations, but taking the, the people with you on that, on that journey, uh, I think is why I'm so kind of positive in, in, in where we are and also being able to give back so that we do see that long-term cultural change that needs to happen. Well, I think the cultural change will only happen with role models like yeah. you. Um, so thank you so much for spending the time to talk so openly and honestly about your journey and keep up the good work. And you too. Thanks for the the invite and for all the work that you do as well. I think the role modelling, especially of uh, diverse communities and intersectional women, really matters. You can't see what you 
can't be what you can't see. Yeah, it does hold true. So what everything that we do matters. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cool. That is it. Awesome. I hope we Wonderful. covered everything that normally yeah. gets covered. Okay. Yeah, um, it's a very different conversation to what I normally have because I usually talk with women who are right in the thick of their research and their work and they have less appreciation of the effects they could have on outreach. So our conversation is really different from that regard because you're very across it. Yeah, I think it's because of the work that I do. If you if we had this conversation three years ago when I was a full-time researcher, it would be very different um, it would have been I'm the only girl on all of the research teams and, yeah, presenting at conferences. That that stuff is all real when people just look at you funny um, and, yeah, all the assumptions. I think the assumptions is a, is a real, real issue. Um, but, yeah, I think that's where the optimism comes from as well because with working with young people, you can see where the future is going. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the, yeah, the industry where some of the industry is at it's just a bit of a hand in uh, head in hand kind of situation but yeah, yeah what I'm seeing because I teach first year what I'm seeing each year is just more and more people who see the value that they can provide and if that value does not match they're not going to acquiesce to that they're going to say sorry not interested which is yeah. great it does have to be a a sort of like shoulder to shoulder journey between yeah. academia and industry where they're open to fresh new talent. And I feel like industry is uh, opening up to that more and more. Yeah, it's getting a lot better. I think some sectors are better than others. I think the tech sector has been forced to, to improve itself because of everything that's been going on. Um, but that doesn't mean that, yeah, it, it's fast enough. That's for sure. Yeah. There's some things that we hear about that are just like, that's not on. But the good thing is now when you call it out, there's action. Whereas it used to be sweeping under the carpet. Oh, no, you just be too sensitive, whatever. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting times. Really interesting. Yeah, I, I'm kind of glad that I'd seen what it used to be and I'm part of what it will be because sometimes it's difficult if you're at either end. I can only imagine what it used to be like in the 70s and how hard it would have been because all the women who fought back then is what got us to where we are now. But then uh, if I'm alive, hopefully, where there's actually an equitable society of trying to think back on what it's like to not have this would be really hard to imagine as well, as hard as it is for me to imagine what an equitable society looks like. Fingers crossed I'm alive when we get there. Yeah, I mean, I must say I've had experiences of that where I've been talking to someone in engineering in their 20s, let's just say, and they're looking at me like, you left engineering? Why? Why, why didn't you just get your company to support you? And why didn't you just say that you felt uncomfortable having no, you know, mentors or role models? And 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 I listen to that and I think, yeah, why didn't I? But then I have to really remind myself that it was a very different culture back then. Yeah. It was a very just completely opposite sort of like work mentality. And so I, mm. I need to not be too hard on myself that uh, it just wasn't the right circumstances to speak out. Yeah, I think society has shifted. Um, but I, I understand where you're coming from. It was a self-preservation thing. 
you know, you either protect yourself or you become vocal and have your head chopped off. So it, it was a choice and it's taken that, I reckon it has taken 10 to 20 years for the conversations to shift to at least be, okay, now that you've said something, we need to do something. Now, we haven't clarified the impact of the doing and making sure that it's accountable, but at least people aren't getting their heads chopped off because that was step one. So, yeah, definitely don't be hard on yourself because that's why I hid, you know. I hid in my classes. Um, I hid when I first became an academic just because just want to survive. I've never, ever heard it expressed that way. And you know what? That is just exactly it. It was self-preservation. It's so easily labelled today as uh, just not being strong, um, you know, giving in, giving up. And it was like, no, it was self-preservation. No, it was not on us to change. It was on the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That's so affirming. Yeah. Lived experiences. Yeah. Yeah. If someone had just tapped me on the shoulder after a meeting or an incident and just say, hey, what just happened there wasn't okay or do you want to talk about it? Like that would have made the world a difference, but that Mm -hmm. just, no, there was none of that. There is now. Not then. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. God. Community. Yay. Yay. Hello and welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to learn more about STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths, and hear from STEM people who are from diverse backgrounds and tend to be really underrepresented. Essentially, through... Essentially, through innovation, I want to get smarter and more knowledgeable about the world of STEM, but also bring a voice to the voiceless who are actually doing the STEM. I was one of those people. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were raised to be curious about the world around us and figure out how things worked. Maybe that's the reason why I studied mechanical engineering. It taught me so much about how things function, but it was actually life itself that taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy. It doesn't always unfold in a straight line. And here on Innovation, I want to hear how other people in STEM have dealt with that. This week, I talked to Eva Cheng, a telecommunications engineer. This week, I talked to Eva Cheng, a telecommunications engineer. Thanks for listening, and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from the platform. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution and innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week. 
Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.